and welcome to Mindful Makers, the show that invites us to consider how creating balance in our inner and outer worlds can bring harmony to our lives and the lives of those around us. Today, I'm chatting to Valentina Chereda, a woman who knows the ins and outs of balanced environments. Valentina is an integrative wellness architect, a certified building biologist, and electromagnetic radiation specialist. She's passionate about helping people to create safe and nurturing spaces that have the power to awaken dormant healing responses in our mind, body, and spirit. Founder of the holistic architectural agency called Energy and Space. Valentina, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So before we kick off, I know that you work across several modalities, one of them being classical feng shui. Can you tell us like briefly what's the difference between classical and new age feng shui? Yes, sure. So um, classical feng shui is the traditional Chinese feng shui that was created thousands of years ago and that is still practiced now in Asia and China. What happened throughout the years in the past, I would say 10 years now, feng shui became more popular, but in order to make it more digestible for everyone in the world, and especially the Western culture, a new age type of feng shui was created where to make it more digestible for people. And what that means is that some things have been introduced that do not relate to the actual traditional practice of feng shui. As an example, using colors to um, balance energies or the saying that plants with spiky leaves are bad luck. That is not part of the traditional Chinese feng shui or like placing coins in the garden or somewhere in the house, it's part of the Chinese culture, mm-hmm. but it's not part of feng shui per se. So it's been mixed up with different things, and that's the new age. And would you say that combining the two is most effective, or is it just sort of pop culture that's dictating that? I would say I don't have much experience with the new age type, so I practice the traditional Chinese And I always say that whatever works for everyone, they can decide for themselves what they prefer. I do believe in placing objects and colors that people resonate with. And I believe that these can bring positive effects to Mm -hmm. the space and people, but it doesn't specifically relate to feng shui. Mm -hmm. It's something else, which is more like probably relating to really making your maybe intentions transforming them into a material form so they become more real. So when, for example, you want to achieve something, let's say I want to make more money, when you see the coins in the house all the time, it reminds you of that intention. So that is something else, but it's not feng shui. It's just another way of working with the space, I guess. Like a symbolic sort of representation of that which you wish to manifest in your life. Exactly, Mm. yeah. I noticed that you've got your master's degree in architecture and worked as an interior architect for many years, but I'm curious to know whether they referenced feng shui in the curriculum or did they reference electromagnetic frequencies when you were studying your master's? No, not at all. Mm. No, no. Conventional architecture, there is nothing relating to feng shui, at least at my time, which is now 20 years ago. 
So what sparked that interest for you in this field? Well, there were different things that happened, but mainly I didn't find that the way I was taught to create spaces, to design a building or an interior, it didn't have enough logic somehow. Everything seems to be very repetitive and using the same materials, the same principles, and it felt really not, it didn't resonate with me. And I thought there must be something beyond all of this architectural practice, which is conventional, traditional way of doing architecture. There must be something more. Because one of the things that happened is I designed a space for clients and we walk into the space when it's finished. So it's like a big, you know, opening the door and they see the new, new space, whatever that is. And we smell all the toxins from the materials. It just doesn't feel right. And the space looks beautiful, but it doesn't smell good. That was one thing. And I started noticing there was absolutely no connection to the, the land, the earth. It's just, I thought, why, when did it happen that we decided we can just place a building anywhere on the land, any land, and just pour concrete that is, you know, and just make a building doesn't feel right. So a few things. <laughs> mm. So your, your, I guess your innate interest in combining nature and the nature around us into the lives that we create or the spaces that we, we create through man-made. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely also that part, the, the other aspect that I've noticed that I, I just realized one day is we feel so good when we are in nature. Why don't we have that in our buildings? Why we disconnect from nature when we enter the buildings? And I'm not talking about putting a plant. It's more connecting to the frequencies that are natural instead mm. of being immersed in artificial frequencies and toxic materials that also come with their own frequency. There's a lot of uh, things that we don't see and that we also see they affect us in the space and not having any natural air element or natural frequency. It's, it's just not healthy, I guess. Yeah, I know that from the research that I was doing and that I have been for the last few months because I'm super interested in the environmental effects of the spaces we occupy. And I had sort of the electromagnetic frequencies measured in my own home and noticed that the meter went crazy around the oven and the cooker hob, which are both electrical. And even when they were on standby, they weren't in use, there was still uh, frequency being emitted from them. And the only way to stop that was to switch it off from the switch in the wall, which made a huge impact and completely eradicated the radiation they were emitting. I think it's radiation or is it magnetic radiation? Yeah, yeah. yeah. radiation is good, yeah. And that was super interesting because... Sometimes people suffer from headaches when they spend a lot of time in, in spaces and they think it's just their bodies, but actually it can be a lot of the waves around us that cause that. Yeah, I mean, it's not only the uh, electromagnetic fields, radiations, but a lot of uh, pollutants that are in our indoor environment mm. that we don't see or feel, like things emitted from carpets, all um, particulates that are coming off carpets, walls, furniture, mattresses. There is 
a lot of other elements that affect us mm. and they could trigger then a reaction or a symptom or mm. something. So based on that, if someone's already sort of living in their home, they haven't sort of, they're not creating something from scratch, they're living in their home already, what are the key things you would advise them on in order to create a more harmonious space for themselves, both from a toxicity point of view, but also a space and energy point of view? Well, the first thing, I mean, and I will be talking about people living in Dubai or the Middle East in general, the first thing is make sure they don't have any you know, mold growth in the house, like bacterias, because that's one of the biggest problems here. So very important to get the ACs cleaned, the false ceiling clean, everything to make sure there is no bacteria that shouldn't be there. And second, of course, the uh, electromagnetic fields levels, just to make sure that there is not like high levels coming from outside or from inside the home, from appliances or, you know, lifestyle, technology, gadgets, whatever that is. I read somewhere that you can turn off the Wi-Fi router at night to help mitigate that as well. Yeah, I mean, but that depends where is the Wi-Fi located, if um, that helps. But also the routers, if they're located in a spot of the house that is far away from, for example, the bedrooms, then you wouldn't need to switch it off necessarily. So it depends on the house, but that helps definitely if you have it next to the room or in your room, definitely it helps if you switch it off. But it's like, you know, the oven in the kitchen that you mentioned before, at night time, these radiations wouldn't really reach you. So whether it's on or off at night, it doesn't matter. During the day when you're around that, yeah. But it's all about finding the balance depending on the people's lifestyle. And, and the space in which they occupy. And the space, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very bespoke. Like there are very generic rules, but it needs to be really bespoke. Yeah. Mm. And... I understand that you not only work with homes, but you've been called in the past to work on projects relating to schools, hospitals, and even farms. Can you tell me a little bit about how wellness design is applied in different spaces? Yes. So wellness design is all about making buildings, environments healthier from an environmental perspective. So depending on the space, there would be different things that we consider. So if we go into a school, for example, we would check electromagnetic fields because the kids spend a lot of time in the class or in the school. We would check the materials that are used. So when we work on a school project, we specify materials that are non-toxic, they're healthy. So Definitely no plastic floorings, which are everywhere in schools, by the way. When you enter schools, you smell the plastic, Mm. like all of this stuff. And of course, you would design and check, you know, to really reduce the potential of mold and bacteria's growth inside the building. So many schools have this problem, unfortunately. So you would approach it in a way that, okay, what we need to do to mitigate whatever is built, or if you're designing something new, what can we do to make it super healthy for the kids? Because they spend many hours there. When it comes to like a hospital, uh, I've been working with clinics, IVF clinics as well. That was specifically more relating to electromagnetic fields because they don't want interference with 
whatever are their labs and also they want the space to be healthy so as much as possible we look at uh, materials that are non-toxic again natural as much as possible when it comes to um, all of these by the way includes feng shui as well if it's a new design so it depends if it's an existing audit or if it's a new design for a new school that we're making Mm -hmm. and on the interest of the client as well And then when it comes to farms, wellness design, that would be also focused on, in the farm, we really focus on the land energy because it's um, the animals really connect to these type of energies. They can feel them more than us because they still have that active, let's say. So we design the location of the pens and the animals in a way that aligns with the most beneficial energy of that plot of land. And then we measure the electromagnetic fields and potentially recommend how we can mitigate them because obviously they live outdoor. So it's Mm -hmm. a bit different than a a building that is easier to shield. Um, And then we look at the actual materials of the animals. So what are the places they eat from? What is it made of? Where do they drink water from? Because it's mostly metal, which is really not good. So we recommend other healthier materials and also the shading systems. Many farms are putting in place solar panels, which also are not good because they emit a lot of um, magnetic fields when there is that inversion from DC current from the sun into AC. So we basically place solar panels, inverters in the best places that don't affect the animals. So there's a lot of each space has its own, <laughs> own rules. On, yeah, That's interesting about the solar panels. I didn't really know that before. So would that same, I guess, practice apply when solar panels are placed on the roofs of homes? Well, it depends where the inverter is. Yeah. So it's all about where is the inverter and also about, because see, when you invert direct current into alternate current, there is a lot of magnetic fields emission, which makes the electricity of the house very dirty. So that's also not very healthy because the electric fields, instead of being like a sine waves rounded, they will have a lot of spikes. So that's like a dirty electricity wave. And yeah, it's not ideal. So for that, we usually recommend filters if really people want solar panels which are, I mean, are good on the long term. Um, it's about where you position them, basically. Yeah, and being it's about mindful planning of it. Yeah. yeah, planning them properly. I imagine in your field you come across a lot of skeptics because I'm sort of thinking about, I really resonate with these type of practices and I'm very sensitive to the energies of spaces around me. I can even feel like I can sometimes hear the waves when I'm about to fall asleep at night. I'm quite sensitive with my hearing. Um, but I have acro- come across a lot of people that are also skeptics about these practices. What's the most common skepticism that you come across? The most common is about feng shui because there is, unfortunately, again, because of the new age feng shui, feng shui has a bad reputation. It's seen generally very fluffy. If they tell you, oh, don't use spiky plants, you know, with the spiky leaves and all of these new age stuff make it really, really shallow Mm. in a way. It was an architect that I met the other night, which was telling me that they had a feng shui consultant on a project. And she was even saying that we're not allowed to use rugs with a squared edge. Everything needed to be rounded in the space. 
you know, the TV, because it's squared, it was considered negative. So these type of things make it fluffy and shallow. And that's why there is this idea. skepticism. Mm. Um, so this is the most common one that I get. And I imagine a lot of that's not really based in practicality because I've never seen a round TV unless I was at an art exhibition. Yeah, and, and that's the thing because there's a lot of feng shui consultants that are actually not architects. They don't understand how to read the floor plans and they would tell you, oh, you have to move this and it's a pillar that is uh, bearing the house. You cannot just move the pillar that simply... So then it makes, yeah, it makes it a bit difficult Mm. to then for people to believe that feng shui is actually something that can be useful when Mm. there's a lot of people like this, which is, again, everyone can do whatever they like, but I believe this is why there's a lot of skepticism, it creates that. And the other very common thing that I get all the time is, why are you saying that the electromagnetic fields are not good? when there is a lot of, for example, phone towers around the city. So if the government allows that, it means it's okay. But unfortunately, it's not like that Mm. because there is a lot of politics and money around the telecommunication industry. So it's not that simple. Yeah. So how do you navigate that? So in in your own field, when you come across that kind of skepticism, what way do you move through that in order to stay true to your own practice and still be... I guess, accommodating of the different views in the world? Uh, well, I've, I mean, for me, it's always all about balance. So for um, companies or people that don't have a bit of awareness or a little bit of belief in environmental energies and environmental pollution of different levels, they wouldn't really come to me and look for my company or, my, or what we do. So usually the maximum I get is I'm out for dinner with someone and then we start talking about things and they ask, what do you do? When I see that they don't relate or they're very skeptical, I just change the topic because I don't need to <laughs> convince anyone. Yeah. You know? No, that makes absolute sense. Yeah. I guess it, it's also important for yourself. You're helping your clients and you're helping those that, come in contact with your work to create more harmony and balance in their environments Mm -hmm. you would also need to embody an aspect of harmony and balance in your own life in order to help your clients sort of walk the talk how do you are there any mindful practices that you sort of work around or routines that help you navigate the ups and downs of your life and what do you do to anchor yourself in a sense of inner balance whilst you're busy encouraging Mm -hmm. others to balance their outer world? So I don't have specific practices. I've been having different ones throughout the years. So the one thing that I do like as a, as a really a routine, most important for me is to always do exercise. So moving my body, whether I go for a run or play tennis or swimming, depending on the day, I need to have that moment where I move because that helps me to move the emotions. Like I feel if I don't do that, everything seems stagnant inside me. So that is one thing that really helps to keep a very clear mind. And usually when I do sports is when I really get some ideas even because I feel it's clearing everything. 
And then the other thing that I do every morning before anything starts, I just collect my thoughts. I wouldn't call it meditation. I would call it more like starting the day on a positive note and being very thankful for everything that I have in general and just put a positive note on the day and and just breathe in a way that helps me to be more like, I guess, grounded and calmer. I don't know. So these are the two main things. And then the other thing that I always do is whatever happens, I always think and believe that whatever there is, there is always a positive side that I'm not able to see in that moment. So that will come later. So I will just let things flow naturally without trying to block things and just let things happen too. So these are the main things. And then I I did try throughout the years things that have helped me in different periods. So one of them, I've tried sound healing. I've tried healing modalities like Reiki, some like ENF, I don't remember. Probably um, EFT. EFT, yes, maybe. (laughs) So throughout many years, like since I would say 10, 15 years, I've tried so many things just because I'm curious to try Mm. just, you know, and, and it helped in different ways. Yeah. Trial and error. Yeah. I mean, it's just to every period, you know, every year, every few months, there is a change, there is something. So then you discover something, adapt, and you try something that might work in that moment, but it might not work later. I don't know. Yeah. So flowing with what's relevant in that moment in time and what you resonate with and yeah, yeah. not sticking to one kind of thing all yeah. the time is like the way The only thing that I stick to is the sports and the breathing in the morning mm. that I find always helps. Your best anchor <laughs> yeah. and your best friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting to see how one thing can help anchor you and then the others complement that anchoring as you move through the different phases or energies of the year as well. I can, yes. I can certainly see that with myself. There's some moments where I'll just go for really long walks all the time and sometimes where I just really love hardcore aerobic workouts and yeah. I need that sort of up energy yes. in my life. And sometimes I just need something quite gentle but still more strengthening in a way and nurturing. Yeah, that that's kind of what brings me peace. Speaking of anchoring, I'm curious to know how you use colour or elements in creating um, harmony in your sort of inner or outer world. So probably within the house or within your life, within your practices. Is this something that you resonate with? I know that it can be quite new agey in terms of feng shui, but do you resonate or use that in any way in your life? Uh, Yes. So the elements are part of the classical feng shui And it's all about using natural elements that act as, I would say, points in the space where you put this element that will help create a balance. So as an example, when you do acupuncture, uh, the doctor uses the needles on the body to create that balance of the energy to create more harmony in the energy of your body, which will make you feel better in a space, in a building, in a house, is the same thing in Feng Shui, but you don't use the needles, you use elements, which is water, earth, 
wood, which needs to be like a growing piece of wood, not a wooden table, for example. The new age feng shui stuff, they use wooden tables as the wood element. Mm -hmm. So that's the difference. But in classical, it would be a tree, for example. Yeah, it would be like a, if it's indoor, it would be a plant with a big trunk, for mm -hmm. example. Bonsai tree. Yeah, or, yeah, exactly. Or you would use a fire element, which can be real fire. Or in this case, this is when feng shui uses the red color instead mm -hmm. of the fire. Because basically you cannot use fire everywhere. You cannot, especially here, if you live somewhere where you have a fireplace, then it's great because you can place it in the right location. Hmm. It doesn't it, really work in the middle of the desert in no, summer. No, <laughs> it doesn't work. So there is the red color, but it's like I use it rarely when it's really, really needed in that space. It's not something I do very often, but I do it. So all of these elements are placed as needed in the space to help creating the balance energy. And so when it comes to colors, it's uh, the red color. It's something that it's used, again, uh, rarely. And um, when I work with different families or different clients, offices, whatever that is, color, I always find it always very personal. So it's important to understand what, how people are and what they like, how they feel about colors and what they can have. Because Each person is different when it comes to perception of colors. So there is not a rule, something that works for everyone. Unless, of course, if you want to trigger really strong emotion, uh, you would use like a, a red wall because that's very powerful. If you want to have a calming environment, you would use like a neutral beige white color. If you want to create active energy for a space, you would use like a yellow or an orange. Like you, if you notice gyms, they have all these generally white, uh, bright colors because mm -hmm. of this. They just help active. So I do believe in all of that. And color psychology is something that I use personally, but it's very, very personal. It's Yeah. yeah. I think it's difficult to advise somebody to have a magenta room when they're not magenta fans at all and when they exactly. enter that space even though from a planning perspective it might make sense on paper their yeah. reaction to that will actually not make them happy so therefore how is that enhancing their lives it's not Whereas and that's exactly why the new age feng shui doesn't make much sense in this case i have reviewed so many reports from clients coming to me and telling me look I had this feng shui assessment done and this is the what they've, they've told me I have to make this room blue, this room green and this yellow in my house. And I don't like any of these colors, but the feng shui consultant told me that that's the only way. So exactly, uh, yeah. does this make any sense to anyone? No, because mm. it's a home. Like you're not designing a school or another space where you could dictate certain colors because maybe a school with children they want color I don't know yeah but so what are the remedies in that situation do you move away from that but is there something else that can help them well what I tell with people that come to me with pre-existing reports I tell them I need to do a full assessment I'm not going to review someone else's work because it's not my work and I'm not going to judge it and I'm not going to change it I'm just have to do it from scratch so that's what I They come to me and I tell them, this is, I can do it from scratch. Otherwise, I cannot tell you what's the yeah. 
no. either way instead of painting because I haven't done the assessment. I don't know what they've used, they, which means, I mean, I know what they've done is the usual feng shui chart that you find on Google, which has the north is, I don't know, the money, the south is love, and that's it. And then they've placed the colors. But it's not like that. Mm, um, it's more technical than that, I imagine. Yes, yeah. And I, this I don't do and I don't know. I mean, mm. this might be valuable for people, but I cannot review something that has this because I don't do it. You use a very interesting, I'm not sure whether it's a chart or a, it's a compass, but it looks way more complicated than the compass. It's a compass. Yeah. It's a compass. Can you tell me a little bit more about how that helps you in your work? So does it, it looks way more complicated than a normal compass. <laughs> yes. So there is, um, it's a Luopan, it's a Chinese Feng Shui compass and it's um, used for any feng shui audit to measure certain specific areas like the facing of the building, the doors, the center of the house, and that will determine the application of the formulas. So the compass, uh, it looks complicated because in feng shui there are 24 directions, not um, four or eight. So there is a north one or two, north three, west one, west two, west three, because each north, each cardinal direction has many degrees inside. So when it comes to classical feng shui, you need to be very precise when you measure and when you apply the formulas to align things in the right direction, basically. So that compass has a lot of rings. Each ring corresponds to different things, like it could be zodiac signs, it could be elements like wood, metal. And depending on the environment, if I'm in a big land, I would use the outer rings. If I'm in a house, I would use the inner rings. And it's just to um, then apply the formulas. That's how it helps you. Mm, sounds very, very interesting in terms of its um, details. I'm a detail-oriented person, so I love that, the details and things. Let's talk a little bit about the way in which you came to, I guess, create energy in space as a sole entrepreneur. I'm very interested to know how you navigated the world of being by yourself and setting up a business and all the challenges that come with starting up and starting from scratch, having worked as an interior architect, previously part of organizations. Yes, I did work as an architect and for many years in architectural firms. And it wasn't easy at all to decide to leave a job that everyone, every architect dreams of, at least at the time, that was very well paid as well. But it was very stressful, it was with a lot of, uh, I mean, I was extremely lucky because all of this work has taught me so much. I was working for very high-end residential projects, companies like uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, like very big names. So everyone's dream, literally. And so I felt a bit ungrateful to make that choice to leave all of this when I was at the peak of my career and I was very lucky. But yeah, it wasn't easy at all. And at the time I had, first of all, the support of my husband which is very important to, if you have a partner that he or she supports, you know, whatever you want to do next. And second, I had um, his sister, 
which is a great, I would say, coach or EFT. I don't know how, but she really does work with emotions. So she managed to guide me through that process of making me believe that it was possible for me to do what I wanted to do, even though the, at the time, now it's different because now everyone is doing their own business, okay? So it it feels more possible for people to leave a company because that's what everyone is. Many people, they are promoting, leave your corporate job and start your own business. Nowadays, no issue. But at the time, no one was doing that. You know, Everyone was working for companies. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm going to just do the opposite of what everyone wants and what everyone is doing and by myself. So it was really hard. It was a year for me before I could, you know, I, I just left the company when I was really over everything. Yeah, I was really. So that was the first thing, very difficult. And then when I set up, yeah, I mean, the thing that always I kept in mind, which really helped, and it's absolutely nothing logical at all, but I was always thinking I'm doing something that resonates with me. I cannot do any other way. Like I was thinking there is no other options for me. I'm not going to go to a company to work 50 hours a day and weekends and be so stressed out. So I was like, I don't have any other option. This is my only option. So it must work somehow. Even though I couldn't see how I always has these thoughts of it will, it will work. And I was very lucky because since the beginning, it, it, it was going well, so even though it was a new thing. And so throughout, it was really good. Did you have to work hard to market your business to begin with or were your first clients through referrals and word of mouth? I didn't do, I started doing, I wouldn't say even marketing, but I started upgrading my brand only two years ago. And I started five years ago. So when I started, I didn't do any marketing again, because at the time there was not that possibility to hire a small business that would do marketing for me, or there was no one that could guide me in how to make a brand because at the time it wasn't common. So I wasn't exposed to this, let's say. So I didn't know it existed. It probably existed at the time, but I didn't know because it wasn't that common. So I had nothing and I was getting my clients through yeah, referrals, mainly was referrals. And, and you know, one thing lead to the other one. And then after two, three years, I said, that's it. Like, I want to be proud of what I'm doing. I want to put it in a nice way. I want someone to do this brand for me. I want, you know, like a proper. So when people open my website, like I don't, before I was shy to send my website <laughs> to people. I was really shy. I was like, that's it. I'm done with this website. I want a new one. I want, so then I, I started doing that and it, yeah, it feels better. There's definitely something to be said for investing in yourself, whether it's in your own growth or in your own body or your own business in a way, in order to create the dream vision that you have for yourself. But I always believe that that investment needs to come at the right time, because if you yeah. invest when you're not physically, mentally, spatially ready for it, it's not energetically well-received. Do you think that's yeah. true in your case? Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. It needs to be in the right moment. 
And uh, and also, it's important to mention that the first couple of years, what I did is I took on projects that were not in full alignment with what I was doing and I'm doing now because I wanted to make the business profitable. I don't want to just do something because it's aligned with me and, but then, you know, I have a family, uh, I'm not alone and I want to teach my daughter that you need to be able to provide for yourself, even if you have a husband that can provide for you. For me, it's very important to teach that because you need to be able to make money with what you love to do. Because when you do it with passion and love, you can make money, whatever that is. So at the beginning, because it was the very beginning, and five years ago, anything related to wellness design, Feng Shui was very little. Like now there is much more talk about this. So I took on projects that were not really aligned to make sure that I get the income. And that helped me to build my studying because I went to study again during the first year in US. So I needed money to study, to learn more. And then I needed money to invest in the business. So just to say that, you know, it's not like all flowers and roses in a way. You you have to somehow make a decision whether to take on some work that you will do your best. It's not fully in alignment, but it will give you something in return that will help you to build something else. So I think it's important because sometimes I feel I talk to many people, they start their own business and they're like, no, I, I'm not going to do this. It's not in alignment. I'm not going to. And then they end up with no work, no money, but you need to build relationships and get known even in other areas until then you find your path within that sector. I don't know. That's how I feel. Yeah, that really makes sense. And also, I think it's in aid of the bigger picture. So you can have a, a dream and know your center and your what aligns with your mission, but also yeah. know that in order to reach that mission, there are steps in between yeah. the goal. And those steps may take you on different paths, but if it adds up to the bigger picture, it can be worth it. Or conversely, it can teach you something that you wouldn't have learned had you not tried it. Exactly. You know, yeah. and that's also you know, the, the curiosity around a new experience and the open-mindedness around it, I think is, is important when you're starting out on your own. Yeah. Mm. Open mind. Absolutely. And every decision needs to be way in different ways. There's not only one way that it doesn't align or it's not what I want to do fully. Yeah. And it's now I can say after five years, I only take on what I really love to do, what I want to do and what's aligned. But to get here, I went through a lot of other things. So yeah, it, it took a while. It's yeah. not a, a few months thing. To put yourself in a position where you're able to make that choice and have the luxury to make that choice you needed to make decisions that were not attached yeah. to that. Big yes, picture. yeah, because there is so much, as you said, connection, so much things that you can learn and that come out from something else that you would never expect. So then from these projects that I wasn't fully happy to do, other things happened that connected me to people that then I'm working for now that are completely in alignment with my work and what I do. Valentina, it's been really interesting to hear your story. 
I would like to know, just before we wrap up, how would you compare the Valentina before energy and space to the Valentina that sits here today, having been in business with energy and space for five years? Well, definitely, I always say, like, I feel like I've had different lives within this life. <laughs> so from before energy and space, when I look in the past, I feel like I'm looking at a different person as if it's someone else. <laughs> but also then when I was a child, I feel I was someone else. I think all of us, you know, we go through phases. So yeah, definitely, I guess like everyone, there is growth and there is improvements. So there are good things, things that have improved, luckily. Others that have remained the same because it's the same person, but definitely I feel it's a different, uh, different life. Yeah. Here's to creating different lives for ourselves with us living our passion. That's uh, something everybody could do a little bit more of in their yeah. life, I think. So my favorite question to ask my guests is what song would you say is the best way to express how you feel about the brand or that embodies the spirit of your brand? Yeah. So um, this is a hard one because in life and in the business, there are different stages as well. So every period I would associate it with a different song at the moment. The song that I resonate more with when it comes to, as you said, with the business and it's new radicals. It's called, I think, you only get what you give. Is that yeah. the title? I'm not sure because I... That's definitely the title. Yeah. So that's the one in this period that if I had to choose a song, that would be the, the one. It's more for the music, you the know, energy. the instruments, the energy more than the actual words. If you could take one item from your life to the moon with you, what would it be? Like a physical item, not a person. Ooh. We usually say item, but give me both. <laughs> okay. I'll let you have two. <laughs> okay. So, um, see, it's difficult because I'm not like an objects person. Okay. So if you're not going to take an item with you, what would your two people be in that case? Because you can, you can transfer the item to a person. I would take uh, my husband and my daughter. Okay. That's lovely. Well, you definitely won't be... Um, bored you'll have lots of entertainment on the moon with them yeah. <laughs> <laughs> valentina it's been a pleasure having you on the show thank, thank you, you so much thank you for sharing your world with us our discussions today actually reminded me of a chinese proverb that i used to have hung on my walls it's a longtime favorite of mine and it i think it goes something like if there's light in the soul there'll be beauty in the person if there's beauty in the person there will be harmony in the house. If there is harmony in the house, there will be order in the nation. And if there's order in the nation, there will be peace in the world. Nice. Mm, yeah. I really love the way that that has a knock-on effect. And I think yeah. that if we are able to, you know, I get the sense there's quite a lot of manic energy in modern living. And if we're able to play a part in effective positive change in our environment, and then that has a knock-on effect in the way in which we move in the world, which can then have a knock-on effect in which others around us feel it's kind of a win-win situation yeah absolutely that's beautiful totally agree <laughs> yeah if you'd like more information about valentina and her work 
please check out her website, which is energyandspace.org, or follow her on Instagram, and the details will be in the show notes. And if you enjoyed today's show and fancied taking the journey further, then give that subscribe button a click or follow us on Instagram, which is sorsha.marketing, to let the world of mindful makers become part of yours too. Until next time, stay open, stay mindful, and I'll catch you on the flip side.